Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Jordan Pacheco from the Glad Chad Podcast. I hope you're doing well, and I hope that you are all having a very uh, painful Lent, right? A very spiritually growing sort of Lent. Mine's been very interesting. I apologize for not putting out nearly as much content. We just had kind of a, a month, not hiatus, but uh, Rudy's been off doing things, and I've been off doing a couple of things. But we did record an episode on Nick Cavazos' podcast. That's the traditional Thomist, if you just type that into YouTube. It was our part two on Marcel Lefebvre and the SSPX. And so we went through documents starting with... Um, the Declaration of Archbishop Lefebvre in 1974, through Assisi, and finally, of course, to the excommunicado done by Pope John Paul II. So I think that Nick is absolutely brilliant, one of the most brilliant young minds in the Catholic world, certainly. Um, and I would highly encourage you to listen to it, especially if you don't know much of the history of Marcel Lefebvre, much of the history of the SSPX, much of the history of what was actually going on at the church, in the church at the, at the time. Just an absolutely brilliant, brilliant talk. It's it's a long, really good talk. So I'm going to link it below, and I think you all should check it out. And if you haven't, go ahead and give Nick at the Traditional Thomist a, a sub, if you will. But yeah, this has been a very surprising Lent, shall we say. Surprising in a lot of very good ways. Of course, it's my first year of marriage, so Jen and I have been married for almost about 10 months now, which is crazy. It's amazing how time flies. And as you can imagine, that will change some of what your typical routines of Lent might have been. Last year, one of my um, favorite devotions, one that I picked up from a couple years ago, penances, I should say, was sleeping on the floor. Obviously, it's a little bit different when you have a wife, <laughs> but part of that Lenten spirituality can very well be doing those spiritual exercises or just doing those good marital exercises to reconnect with your spouse. And in the first year of marriage, you will discover things about yourself and things about uh, your wife that you never thought before. You have an entirely different sort of way of, of loving and ways of fighting and ways of praying and coming together and, and going apart. And it's been, a, it's been a roller coaster, but in, in the best kind of way, in a very good growth way. So I hope that perhaps when we hit our anniversary, if she hasn't stabbed me yet, I will uh, will be able to sit down again and maybe do another Married Life with the Pachecos and just reflect on what a year of marriage really means. Um, high chances are we'll probably still be together. <laughs> but Lent is such a beautiful time. And one thing I've been really thinking about is growing up in the family that I grew up in, we never did the fasting and the feasting cycles that should come with Lent, six days of fasting, and then Sunday, of course, for feasting, because it's on Sunday that we celebrate the risen Lord. I would say that growing up, we never had really familial Lents, and I don't feel like I was ever really pushed for deeper devotions or uh, not not completely, not blaming my parents or blaming my family, of course. I never really felt a need, even though it was obviously there, to, to push myself for deeper devotion until I got really into college and into young adulthood. Of course, you could pick up those Lenten books outside of, of, of the sanctuary in the vestibule after Mass, usually at the start of Lent. You know, those, um, they're these little blue books. And I flipped through a few. Maybe I even still have one or two. But they're pretty, they're pretty cringe in some of their reflections for each day of Lent. So 
a good Lenten reflection I would recommend, of course, is there's there's plenty of them to be had. I uh, I like to go through the missal simply for the day. And so we get to see what the mass is that day and we read about what saint and I'll try to invoke that saint for the day as well as as try to open and close with scripture. So just a really kind of easy, quick thing to do that might help your Lenten spiritual regiment. It's it's interesting because as a result, I feel like a lot of desires that I give up for Lent um, become more impactful because then you see the joy of these things which God has created that are good um, realized on Sunday because, of course, this is the day that there should be no fasting. This is the Lord's Day. We celebrate Christ's conquering of death and we celebrate his sacrifice and the holy sacrifice of the Mass. And when I was growing up, we never really did that. So that's something that in my family I like to implement. Um, one of the things we gave up collectively, because that's another good first year of marriage tip, is what your wife gives up and what you gives up, there should be some intersection there. It'll make it easier for both of you. It'll it'll keep both of you honest. So we both gave up alcohol with a couple of, of caveats I've heard before. If we're going out for a social drink and it's it's going to be way more inconvenient for everybody. Then, of course, we'll get a drink. If my parents want to come over, we go out. Um, we went out for a wedding, right? And uh, what a joyous occasion. And so we we drank. But otherwise than that, the Bacardi has been relatively untouched throughout this entire Lent, which is really kind of cool. But it's way easier because that's something that, um, you know, Jen loves making mixed drinks and loves wine. And I tend to like sweeter drinks. And so... It's a really nice thing that we can just kind of do together, a little bit of suffering. Another thing that we did is um, we have, we canceled the Netflix subscription. It's it's back on temporarily because of a Sunday thing. But we, we try to listen to music and watch things that lift the soul to God more. So this doesn't mean for us completely 100% religious media per se. For instance, a lot of classical Music is secular, at least it doesn't explicitly point to God. Much of it does, but these things still lift the eyes to God, right? So the classical radio station in our cars, we have Broadway HD, uh, which is a cool thing, but we're not just watching Broadway plays. We're not actually watching Broadway plays. Um, we'll see the other kind of arts, operas, ballets, and you might say, well, that seems pretty secular, Jordan. That seems like entertainment, and I guess it can be, but... It, it does create more of a, of a prayerful reflection in our household, uh, especially with music going. And so that's been one that's been a little hit or miss at times. But generally speaking, finding media that lifts the eyes to God more is a good idea. And of course, there are plenty of religious films. We watched Risen the other day, which is one of my favorite Christian films. I think Jen got a decent kick out of it. But Jen's really funny. Jen would actually make a really good biblical scholar. Because halfway through that movie, and I won't spoil it, but there's there's this big meeting, shall we say, uh, with the main character. And Jen pauses and goes, well, that's not in the Bible. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm over here like, don't let the facts get in the way of a good story. But but she's awesome. And, and that was kind of just a really funny funny thing to, to look at. Um, yeah, Lent's a, Lent's a good time. And it's amazing that it's already almost Easter. I'm... Easter's, I think, oof, is it the 17th of April? We're, we're past the halfway mark at any rate. The Bolton's already putting out masses for Palm Sundays and Good Fridays. So 
it's it's amazing how fast Lent goes. Forty days, not including Sundays, is is a blink of an eye. It's a month and a half, give or take. So it's 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 amazing how you can reflect on your own spiritual growth. I am reading my my big thing I like to do during Lent is read the lives of the saints or revisit a biography or two. And in particular, I'm reading one about um, one of my patrons, which is Sir Thomas More. It's called The Life of Sir Thomas More by Peter Ackroyd. I should do a trad reads on it. This is a fantastic book. I'm audio booking it. And it's just how beautiful that here's a man who was torn between the duty to his king and the duty to God in a world where that would have just been such a nonsensical thing to think about. So the world of Tudor England, the world of of the late Renaissance is a world where the state and the church work together because they both represent order, God's order passed down to man. So it's amazing that Thomas More, it's not a contradiction that he could be this great English saint, but also be Lord Chancellor of England, also be this lawyer, a man in the world, but not of the world. So I draw a lot of inspiration from Sir Thomas More because that is sort of the calling that I feel like many traditional Catholics have to be in the world, but not to be of the world, echoing the words of Christ. And for a man who lived 500 years ago, we see the same pressures in our own time. We see the pressure to pinch incense to Caesar, to go with whatever the state says or whatever our leaders say, uh, whether in the church or in in uh, in the secular sphere, and to completely turn off our obligations to God and to our families and to our duties, and to leave the island of objective truth that we all ought to be anchored on. Thomas More lost everything, but in losing everything, including his life, including his family, including his title, including his position, he gained everything, namely to say the crown of martyrdom, namely to say heaven. So not to mention he was also kind of funny and extremely witty and dry. And I would imagine if I could speculate for a second, Thomas, that some of your confession time was occupied by a, a being sorry about some very dry witticisms made to particular people over over the course of a week or however many times confession was frequented. There's actually one of the thoughts for making this video. It was a bit of an update, but also I had a really funny experience internally concerning confession recently. So I went to confession on Sunday, which was yesterday at the time of recording, right? But I needed to go to confession for probably about a week. Usually I like to go once a month, month and a half. It had been two months. I'd once heard that confession was a spiritual shower, that you just need to wash yourself off. And in this case, I really did have to go. It wasn't just venial popcorn sins. I wish I was that cool. Uh, <laughs> doing my doing my best, Lord. Uh, well, actually, no, but I can be doing my best. And it's funny because, again, I knew probably since last week, okay, like Jordan, we need to go to confession, you know, get ourselves all righted with God, be sorry and contrite for our sins. And it's funny how if you have sin on your soul, there is this, I guess I'd say fear. There's laziness for sure. There's sloth, but there's also this fear planted somewhere inside that goes, I'm scared of going to confession because if I go to confession, I'm going to get chewed out. Or something innocuous like that. 
I generally speaking like to go to priests who don't know me. That's just that's a very human thing for a lot of people. I'm one of those people who, if I were could, I would throw my voice in confession. Right, bless me, Father, for I've sinned. <laughs> you know that sort of thing. Uh, it's the only sacrament which. Uh, tempts me with the Novus Ordo because I could just slip in with a priest that I would never see again. Uh, I'm not saying that sacraments invalid, therefore, um, in the Novus Ordo. It's different, but it's not. I don't know. We'll we'll let Nick discuss that one. <laughs> but it's interesting because here I was in a state of, of I, I had I knew I had a mortal sin on my soul. Okay, so I need to go get that confessed. And I tried to go once before and the line was just astronomically long. And it's interesting, however, that you wake up on the day you're going to go to confession. And for me, at least, what happens is that there is this feeling of dread may be a bit too hyperbolic, but there's this feeling of so, sort of um, anxiety, shall we say, right? There is a feeling of apprehension because you think that, okay, I'm going to go to confession and I'm going to be sorry and contrite and the priest is just going to tear me a new one. The priest is going to call me horrible and terrible and you're not good enough for God's love and send me out there, make me shiver like a dog. I don't know. I had one bad experience in confession once. I had a priest stop me um, being contrite, right? I was naming my sins. I had number severity, normal things. And the priest stopped me to tell me that one thing that I had wasn't a sin. And Perhaps that's true. I'd, I'd venture to guess that it was a sin because we can sin both in our thought and in our word and what we have done and what we have failed to do. But when you pro tip for any priest that watches this or any seminarian, don't interrupt a man's flow of his sins and confession just to happily exclaim, oh, that's not a sin. Because the, for 10 seconds, we just had this quick little, I was being very respectful, so I wasn't even a back and forth. But it was kind of hard to get back up on that horse. And I left that confessional not feeling very good, feeling like I had come with this contrition and I'd gotten this flippancy instead. I understand, of course, that the priest is just the mediator of the sacrament, right? He, he's in persona Christe, that, that it's God who forgives our sins. Working through the priest, the priest has the authority to grant absolution, therefore. But still, there there is that sort of human element that, that cannot be disregarded. It was just a bad confession. It was just stupid. And it reminds me in contrast of sometimes going to confession where you have a priest who <laughs> who will tell you something that obviously is a sin, isn't a sin. I guess I had a bit of that experience. But I've had friends who have confessed, you know, sins like um self-abuse or pornography, right? Common common boy sins. And the priest will say, "Oh, well, everyone does that, right? That's not a sin." And those are the weird grooming tactics for dangerous priests. And you just go, wow, Father, no, that's not right. And um, I've heard of a bad confession where, again, someone had to go to another priest because they, they were scandalized. They didn't feel the forgiveness. They didn't know if the absolution was valid, per se. One thing about this thought that was very interesting to me is that if you have a mortal sin on your soul, God actually grants us an extraordinarily uh, extraordinary grace. We are lucky that we don't see or feel the consequences of, of our sins, of our actions, correct? We're, we're very fortunate that we don't know deeply, really, truly on this side of heaven what the pain of having a mortal sin on the soul is. So for those who, who need it stated yet again, a mortal sin will 
lose you your salvation. You cannot enter the presence of God if post-death if you have a mortal sin in your soul. A mortal sin is consists of three matters, right? It's grave matter. It's a serious thing. You know that it's a serious thing, and you choose to do it anyway. So the famous idea is like murder, right? I know that murder is wrong. It's a sin against the commandments. I choose to murder anyway, and I know... Um, and of course, it's a very serious thing. So it's amazing to me, though, because here I am a week needing to go to confession and my thought is trepidation. My thoughts, apprehension. My thought is fear. And I, I think that this is a very human experience. It's something that I, I see how long the lines are at Carmel all the time. I know that trad Catholics are not sitting there saying, oh, how well pious is me. I'm never going to go to confession ever again. I've never seen longer confession lines than at a traditional Catholic parish. And that should tell you something. But. It's amazing because we are immune from these things, so to speak. The horrors of it. We're not obviously not immune from the effects in the long term. Sin begats sin if we don't run to virtue. But it's amazing how when we commit a sin, we want to run away from God further. We don't want to just cling to him. That's part of our fallen nature that we, though partially restored in baptism, we are always fighting, right, to do. Or fully restored in baptism, but we're always fighting for, right? When Adam and Eve sinned, this is what this was interesting. When Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? See, they didn't stand out in the open and go, whatever, God, we did what we did, you know, suck an egg. But they hid from God. In fact, God's first words when he comes back and, and sees that they are hiding is to, to ask, where are you? So when sin enters us, it's amazing to me that our inclination is not to to be like the prodigal son in the second half of the story, but it really is to be like the prodigal son in the first half of the story. It's to say, I'm out of here, God, I'm going to run away. It's also amazing how there is this feeling. And I know that a great amount of it certainly comes from the devil. My great joke is that I don't think the devil needed a lot of help in order to get us to fall. If you read the Genesis narrative, it's not a giant theological dissertation. It's, it's just a little bit of doubt that, that the, the switch is flipped. But it's amazing how um, when, when we have mortal sin upon our soul or any sort of sin, the proclivity is, well, I'm already screwed, so I might as well just double down, triple down. This is not, I'm not asking you to make a judgment call on me. I'm not going to tell you. But I know that this is something that is part of that temptation, especially when, when we need to go to confession. Well, you already um, got drunk at that party and... and um, hurled all over this guy's car. Not a real story. Don't worry. Not really my proclivity of sin. So what's to stop you from drinking more? Well, you already looked at pornography. What's to stop you from looking at some more? Well, you already gossiped heavily about your coworker. What's what's to stop you from from doing more? You're already you're already you already took a charge. I mean, might as well just make it all fun. Especially since you know that God's going to forgive you in confession, which is. Kind of the last little part of what a sinister thought this whole thought process is. So here I am sitting there and I go, wow, first off, I knew I have to go to confession for a week. I haven't done so. So here I am. I'm going to go to confession on this day. As I'm getting ready to go to confession that day, I have this suddenly feeling of, well, what if the priest doesn't forgive me? What if God doesn't love me? And I don't really get that thought often. It's I wouldn't even say it's a very um, predominant thought, even in this cocktail of, of Satan whispering to me, so to speak. Well, he is. Um, but it's just you just realize you're like, wow, that's a really, that's a really dark thought. That's a really stupid, dark thought because of course God loves you. And of course now 
we shouldn't sin. If we're sinning with the presumption of, well, I'm just going to go to confession. It's all going to be okay. That doesn't in and of itself, that could very well uh, invalidate your confession. If you sin because you presume God's love mercy, um, that's not cool. That's not cool at all. I don't really know what the theological term is off the top of my head right now for not cool, but I'm pretty sure there's one in Latin or at least Greek. <laughs> it, it's, it's probably like a, like an ultra vires of sorts. The presumption is a dangerous sin and we need to watch out for this one. Presumption of God's love. It's true. God loves us unconditionally. He wants us to be with him in heaven forever. He loves us so much that when we sin, when we fall, when we deliberately look at him and say, I want to be cut off from you, put me down. I'm out of here. His response isn't, well, forget this. Fine. Go do you whatever. I'm done. But his response comes as we see in Genesis. It's where are you? His response is to be the loving father and the prodigal son. I'm going to be here when you come back. And when you come back, I'm not going to, to um, be angry. I'm not going to be hateful. I'm not going to mock you in your contrition. I'm going to embrace you. I'm going to tack you on with me to the cross. And I'm going to tell you that your sins are forgiven. And the devil hates that, man. The devil hates that. I think that. It is amazing because God loves us so deeply that that even the the depths of hatred that Satan has is nowhere near the depths of mercy and beauty that God has for each and every one of us. I heard this from one of our professors for a project coming up, but and it's true. God loves you and desires your salvation more than you want that for yourself and more than you want that for other people. Think about the person who's closest in your life. For me, it's my wife. God wants Genevieve to go to heaven more than I do because I'm a conditional creature. The way that I love is is just an imprint. It's just a likeness to the vast ocean of how God loves. We're called to love like that. And that's what the sacrament of penance does for us. That's what confession is proves to us it's ultimately a sacrament not of chastisement which is as i was standing in line for confession i was, I was over i was overwhelmed with this i often am uh, praise god i think sometimes you you need that reassurance but i was overwhelmed with the love that god has for us and as i knelt down the confessional i i was happy because i knew that i was contrite that the sins that i had i i truly was sorry for them because i hurt Others in my life, I hurt myself and I hurt my Lord, my creator, my master, my king and my God. And every single confession, because there's going to be plenty more. I wish I could tell you as a result, Jordan sinned no more the rest of his life. Maybe one day I can. It's possible with, with God's grace. Um, but if I wind myself back, I know that that's a common thing for me. That I, I've, I'm very fortunate because I don't feel like at least maybe since I was a teenager and didn't quite understand everything that was going on. But even then, I don't ever feel like I, I've ever invalidated a confession. Um, I've never just phoned one in. And I know that Satan hates that because when you're in his clutches, he doesn't have to work nearly as hard. So this Lent, we're asked a lot of us, as it should be. We are, we are servants of a king a very loving and good king. But 
as Catholics, we need to work on being a wellspring of mercy and love. As we get from the sacrament of penance, we need to be that in our own lives. So when's the last time you forgave somebody? Somebody whom you loved, who wronged you? When's the last time you said, I'm sorry? When's the last time you went seeking out somebody who's running away from you? We're not supposed to, you know, just allow all the all our enemies to, you know, there are some people whom, um, well, let's say this. God understands that sometimes you can love people the best way from a distance. But that's not how he works. And he gives us what we want. If we truly desire to be with God and we strive for that each and every day, and when we fall, we get right back up, we go run to him in the sacrament of the altar, we run to him in adoration, we run to him in penance, we run to him in the Eucharist, in the sacraments that we've also been given, in our, in our confirmation vows, in our marital vows, then he will grant us what we desire, right? That we see his face. If we live our life desiring to see Jesus, then we shall see Jesus. And the inverse, if we desire to stay his wretched children, to pursue our own pleasures and our own selfishness, our own prides, our own lusts, our own gluttonies, our own sloths, he will respect that too. See, nobody goes to hell unless it's their own damn fault. There is not one soul in hell who is there because there was a mix-up in paperwork, who has to tap the management and exclaim, oh my gosh, this is the bad place. And equally, there's nobody in heaven who was tricked into getting into heaven. If we live a life of virtue, if we cultivate virtue now when we're young and, and malleable and impressionable, God willing, it might be easier as these things set. All of us, we pray before meals. We don't even think about this, right? How many times, my gosh, my wife and I will sit down to watch a show and we have a food out and I go, okay, wait a second. Like we just got to pray. And it's not a fight in the family. Obviously, we've been doing this since we were children. When you pass by holy water or you have a little bottle of holy water, I have one, I had one sitting right here. We, we don't even think about the sign of the cross. I was watching my nephew years ago. He's eight now, so he knows it. But when children are learning the sign of the cross, it's amazing because you haven't thought about it consciously in years. You probably haven't thought about consciously that holy water, rightly taken, forgives venial sins. It washes them clean in the reminder of our baptism. Praise God. That's fantastic. We have so many tools at our disposal because our God, our Lord in heaven, desires our salvation, desires us to be with him forever in heaven. And if we don't use these tools, especially during this Lent, if we don't cultivate these tools, then we just become pawns of the enemy. For me, being a weak and mortal sin is stupid. I know better. I have a I, have a, I work out a place where I obviously know better. I have a little channel. God bless you guys who listen on to me. But I have a little channel where we talk about Catholic things. I should know better. Human frailty is, is not an excuse. Because what does Christ tell us but that his grace is sufficient for thee? With Christ, all things are possible. And in the lives of the saints, that's what we see. Yes, the saints still went to confession. Many of them did. God willing, it was just these little popcorn flecks, right? 
How many sins can a nun get up to? I don't know. I know God knows. But the saints are not just fake people that we invented to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. People who, who levy this charge against Christianity don't actually read the tales and stories of Christianity. Like, oh, you want to feel better about call to virtue? You might have to die for it someday. You might have to get St. Bartholomew. You might have to get your skin filleted from yourself. Oh, you want to go against the king's wishes for the sake of Christ? Ah, you might get beheaded. Sorry. How many martyrs are there today? Or all over the African continent right now. We hear these stories, right? Islamic terrorists come in. Ah, here are these Christians minding their own business. Pop, pop. Because you love Jesus. Because you won't renounce Christ. Because you won't trample on the fuma. So we're very fortunate because here in the West, even with a post-Christian society, we still have a very comfortable Christianity. Extremely comfortable. Post this ridiculousness of COVID, and God willing, you moved your feet to the Latin Mass near you, that you could actually have access to the sacraments. But there's confession every single day in this town. There's confession every single weekend. There are so many sacraments happening each and every day. So many beautiful um, the, the beautiful totality of God's love being poured out each and every day that it's comfortable for us. Even in this time of church decline and shrinkage, there's a Catholic church on every corner. You go 15 minutes in any direction, you can find a Catholic church. You're going to have to go a lot farther if you want to find a Latin mass. <laughs> so that's just a, a huge reflection I've been having for this tail end of Lent. I want to be a wellspring of virtue. There's an image on my phone I have. It's of St. Joseph embracing the child Jesus. I did my consecration to St. Joseph shortly before my marriage. So he's another one of my patrons. I've begun to gravitate towards fathers because Thomas More, of course, was a father as well. That's the kind of man I want to be. And St. Joseph had the Holy Family, Our Lady and Our Lord, right there under his tutelage. And he became a wellspring of virtue. In his silence, he spoke volumes. So if you need to go to confession, I would highly recommend you do so. I would beg you to do so. God is just waiting, bated breath to forgive your sins. And furthermore, um, well, next request is this next Saturday, this upcoming Saturday, I'm starting my, my um, first Saturday devotions uh, for the consecration of Russia. This was something that Our Lady of Fatima asked of us, or perhaps uh, ordered of us. She's Our Lady. She does command. So that's when that's when we're starting it. So if you haven't done that yet, let's go ahead and make these next five Saturdays first Saturday devotions um, to the Immaculate Heart of, of the Virgin Mary. And um, yeah, that's that's all I got. I am I'm so overwhelmed at times with how much God loves me. And how much he loves you and how he's calling us to this holiness. I mean, he's just waiting for us. We can't even envision on this side of heaven what that feels like. But God willing, if we strive in his grace, we will feel that directly when we get to heaven. Kicking and screaming, I'm sure all of us will be. Going through the lowest fires of purgatory if we're lucky. So, until next time, have a happy Lent. God bless you and may I keep you. I'll see you on the next one. Adios.